If you'll open your Bible to Exodus chapter 27 again, we'll look quickly at that uh, portion of Scripture. We're going to pick up where we left off. Last week, as you recall, uh, we started our study on the brazen altar at the entrance of the tabernacle, or entrance to the outer court. And we only got halfway through it, so this is part two, and we'll just pick up and continue where we were. But in Exodus chapter 27, let's read that again in verse number one so that we'll have our thinking refreshed as to what we're studying. God's talking to Moses, and he says, And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, and his horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pan, all the vessels thereof shall thou make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four basin rings, brazen rings, in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even in the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make stays for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Holler with boards shall thou make it. As it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. I can't emphasize this enough. God again and again and again repeats this verse that we just read, verse number 8, uh, about how Moses was to build the ark. Uh, let me just point out three quick things. Number one, God did not leave anything to Moses' imagination or his design concerning how God wanted the entire tabernacle in the outer court built. Number two, he did not leave anything to the uh, artistic abilities that the workmen had that were building it. They did not inject their own ideas and their own thoughts and say, well, it'll look better this way. Uh, God did not allow the workmen to have any say whatsoever in how this tabernacle, the outer court, and all the furniture was designed. And number three, and this is vitally important, not one thing was left in the tabernacle that is a picture of New Testament worship. It's a picture of the believer. It's a picture of Christ. Not one thing was left to the desires of the people. No indication in the scripture anywhere that God asked them what they would like to have in the tabernacle in the wilderness where they were going to worship. Now, we've already studied down through about half of it, so let's just review quickly and then we're going to uh, we're going to get on to page two at the position of the altar but last week we covered the person of the altar uh, we've repeated this several times all of you are well aware of it the altar is a picture of Christ where he was uh, the, the sacrifice was made for the atonement of sin. It's a picture of Calvary. We've all heard this song, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. That altar is a picture of that cross that leads you to be reconciled to God, leads you through Christ to have your sins forgiven and have your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
and we've named this. You've got a list of this uh, throughout your material. Uh, this brazen altar is Christ our sacrifice. It's where his blood was shed. All that's explained in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. But we looked at that last week. So we don't want to go back and take our time to look over that again. Then the second thing we looked at was the pattern of the altar. God gave us measurements for the altar and uh, very, very carefully gave them to us. He said it was five cubics long and five cubics wide. I've asked this several times before. Somebody, Everybody in here ought to know it by now. What does the number five stand for in Bible numerology? Stands for grace. Number five always stands for grace anywhere you find it in the scriptures. It's going to have something to do with the grace of God. And then when you multiply, he said you build it five cubics long and five cubics wide. You multiply that, it's 25. And the number 25 in the scriptures is uh, extreme grace. Uh, you can name it several different things. Uh, better probably said it's complete grace and it's perfect grace. There's nothing whatsoever that can be added to God's grace where Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. It paints a clear picture that salvation is a free gift of God and anybody that comes along and tries to add anything to it. For example, like the Church of Christ says, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ, but then you've got to be baptized too. That's them trying to add something to the grace of God and God's not pleased with that. You ought to be very careful not to ever, ever be caught up with adding anything to the grace of God. Also, God said it'll be three cubics high. Three in the scriptures, the number of deity. Uh, if you break that down into our measurements today, that's four and a half feet high. And it pictures the, they, the sacrifice that came into the door of the outer court there and received by the priest. The sacrifice had to be lifted up and put upon that brazen altar. It pictures Christ being lifted up. You go back to the Old Testament to Moses, uh, where Numbers 9, 21, I think, it said God told Moses to make a brass serpent, judgment, put it upon a pole, and lift it up. And then over in the New Testament, John chapter 12, verse 23, John chapter 3, verse 14, uh, the scripture talks about our Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. So it pictures that. But again, the number three is a picture of deity. It pictures the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then we looked at the material that the altar was made of. We won't spend any more time here. It's made out of a shittim wood or Arcadia wood. It pictures humanity. It also pictures the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Isaiah 53, 2 said Jesus was a root out of dry ground. And then it was covered with brass. Brass is always in the scripture a symbol or a picture of what? Picture of judgment. So we see a picture of humanity covered in brass, covered in judgment, but then it's on the altar where the blood was shed. And that's where you and I and those people in those days found uh, the grace of God. We found the mercy of God in forgiving our sins where we've come short of the glory of God. And it's a true picture that the mercy of God always overrides the judgment of God. And any time that you and I need the mercy of God for sins and shortcomings and failures in our life, we can be sure that the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for that atonement. And our sins, if we confess them, will be con 
forgiven, be forgiven of all, we'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Then we talked about the mounted horns on the uh, corners, the four corners of the uh, brazen altar. Uh, number one, we talked about that they were a symbol of power. If you remember, we looked at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, talked about the Antichrist and the little horn, and it was a picture of power. Uh, the exalted horn in 1 Samuel 2.10 was a picture of power. But then we went to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, and what did we find there? We found again talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, and there were seven horns and seven spirits of God. And again, what does the number seven? The seven stands for completion or perfection. And this is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed on the altar. Talked about being having the seven spirits of God. Have talked about the seven horns in Revelation 5, 6. It pictures Christ, all power complete power, perfect power, needs nothing added to it, no help whatsoever. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you and I could ask or think. And also, those what does those, those four corners? What's the number four? The number four always stands, that's the number of creation. Uh, in the beginning, when God created, the number four was on the fourth day was when it was all came together but uh, the number four speaks of the creative act of God it speaks about the four corners of the earth there's the four corners of the compass the Bible speaks about the four winds it speaks about the four seasons and here on this altar it's a picture that the gospel is for the four corners of the earth you put that together with the perfect power and the perfect grace. Paul said the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? The power of God unto salvation. So here in this altar we see a picture that we are to preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And it is efficient and effective and powerful enough that it will save whosoever will may come, regardless of what country they're in, what corner of the earth they're on, what culture they is, what color their skin is, red and yellow, black and white. They're still precious in his sight. And God's power and this altar and this sacrifice is sufficient for the people in the four corners of the earth. Now, that's where we ended last week. Let's... Uh, we're on page two now with Roman numeral three. Let's look at the position of the altar. If you will, turn to Exodus chapter 29, and you'll see exactly with that one other verse, you'll see exactly where the altar was located, and that's important. Exodus 29 and verse 11. Picture the altar there, people in bringing the bullocks and the different animals to be sacrificed. Verse 11, and says, And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord, where? By the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. This brazen altar was located right at the very entranceway of the outer court where those uh, colorful bales were that spanned 20 feet there. That was the only way that anyone could enter into the outer court. That was any any that was the only way that anybody could come into the area and go back to the tabernacle to where service for God and worship of God was done. There was no other way to get into the service and the presence of God 
except to come in that gate and there's the altar they had to come by the brazen altar where the sacrifice was made I look over in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 6 and you'll see that even more clearly Exodus chapter 4 and verse 6 says and thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation so it was the first piece of furniture set right at the entrance of the uh, outer court as people came in to go into the presence of God now what's that picture for you and I today well we don't have to guess you can turn to John chapter 10 and we'll read that quickly John chapter 10 let's begin reading in verse number 1 three different uh, verses here that we'll look at John chapter 10 and verse 1 this is the Lord Jesus talking he says verily verily I say unto you he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way the same is a thief and a robber so what does that brazen altar the location of it picture for you and I today it pictures that by the way of the cross is the only way to enter into come in to prepare to be in the presence of God and here it says if any man comes in any other way or tries to come in any other way to enter the uh, tabernacle here God says he's a thief and a robber look down in verse number seven then said Jesus unto them again Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now look down in further in verse number 9. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Do you see the picture here of the tabernacle? And then look over in the New Testament. We see our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already said that altar is a picture. Christ our sacrifice is the only way that anybody can ever come to know Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father as their, their Savior and their God. Uh, people can give, people can pray. I don't care how much you serve, how circumspectly you want. If you don't come in by the door and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and have your sins forgiven and be brought into the family of God, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, whatever you do is worthless. It has no value whatsoever. So the position of it was at the very door, everybody that came in had to come by the brazen altar. A sacrifice had to be made to uh, pay for their sins there at the altar. Now look at uh, Roman number 4. And we'll, we've looked at the position of the altar. We'll look at the purpose of the altar. And we're going back to Exodus chapter 29. Let's look in. Uh, you've got 13 and 14. Let's go back up to verse 10. And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron and his son shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock. And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock, watch now, and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. Uh, verse number 13, And thou shalt take all the fat that covered the inwards and the calf that is above the liver and the two kidneys. He went on. 
and uh, explain what to be done with those. But we'll stop right there. What was the purpose of the offer? altar? It was a place where a offering for sin was made. You know, the problem that those Israelites had in that day, what was it? It was a sin problem. And what is the problem that you and I have got today? It's a sin problem. When they came in, the purpose of that was those people came in, they were sinners, they knew they were sinners, they brought in a bullock, they brought in a lamb, and they turned it over to the, the priest standing there at the altar, and that priest would lay his hands on that bullock's head, and in doing so, he was, he was placing the sins of those people on that bullock. Now, later on, we'll look. There was, they would come in and they would bring two. Well, we'll touch on that briefly, but we'll study that later on. But they would take the one bullock and the priest would put his hands upon the head. That was symbolically transferring the sins of those people that brought it onto that bullock. And then he would cut the bullock's throat or the lamb's throat and, and take, the, take the blood out, sprinkle it upon the altar, put it on the four horns, and then he would put the sacrifice, cut it apart, and put it upon the brazen altar where it would be burned as an odor of sweet smell unto the Lord. But he would take all the blood and pour it there on the ground at the base of the altar. Now, all of you are familiar with the scripture, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. What's it say? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So what was the purpose of the altar? It was a place where sacrifice was made and blood was shed as an atonement for the sins of the people. Now, what is the picture of that today? Uh, it's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ being nailed to the cross and pouring out his blood in order for my sins and your sins to be not covered, but to be blotted out forever and forever. Uh, but it was a place where the sin offering was made. You know, just an illustration to show you how important this is. This is the message, if, if it, it, it can't be done. But if it could be done, this is the message that needs to be preached in the White House in Washington, D.C. This is the message that needs to be preached to the Congress of the United States. They spend billions of dollars and hours of time trying to solve the problem. They always come up with all these solutions and they don't know what the problem is. You can't solve the problem without knowing what the problem is. The problem in America today is a sin problem. Let me just give you a simple illustration that all of us can relate to. And this is not racial, but we've got a racial problem. We've had a racial problem in America back through 200 years. Uh, they've gone through segregation. They've gone through laws. They've legalized everything you can think of. They've still got a racial problem, and it's probably worse today than it was before they did segregation, before they made all the laws regarding discrimination. They keep working on solving the racial problem. They'll never solve the racial problem. You can solve the racial problem or work at solving the racial problem without solving, without solving the sin problem. But if they would change the uh, goal that they've got, and they would set about trying to solve the sin problem in America, and I understand they're not going to do that, but if you could ever solve the sin problem in America, you would automatically 
solve and resolve the racial problem in America. It would go away. Would people get born again? You know, they had a racial problem back in the days of uh, Paul and the apostles. There was a tremendous discrimination and racial problem between Jew and Gentile. But when they both got born again, uh, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said they're all one. They're bonded together. They become one in Christ. And once the believers in the New Testament, the book of Acts, realized that, racial problem went away. So the purpose of the, the, the altar is a means to solve the sin problem, and it's done through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and Him pouring out His blood at the foot of the cross. That's a picture, and we'll see that again here in just a few minutes. Uh, let me point out one other thing before we move on. That altar had fire on it. Turn with me with Levit to Leviticus chapter 9. This is important, so please take your Bible and turn on over there. Leviticus chapter 9, and let's look at verse 24. The point I'm trying to make now, the point I am making, where did that fire come from? Did they just uh, strike a fire there using rocks or whatever? No, it didn't. Look at it in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. And we, if you study the whole chapter, we're talking about Moses, Aaron, the tabernacle. Look in verse 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation. So you know where we're talking about. And came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Watch now. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. Where did the fire on that altar come from? It came from God out of heaven. The scriptures is clear on that. Now you say, Brother Gabriel, why is that important? God doesn't need any man-made fire. And God doesn't need any help. And not only that, we'll see the, the dire importance of it and how serious it is when we get over to studying the golden uh, center that's right before the veil going into the Holy of Holies because the fire that, the fire that was used in the golden center where we're picturing a supplication prayers, that fire came from the altar and that fire on the altar came down from God. We'll study this again later, but just to put a little thought in your mind right now, uh, you remember, I'm sure most of you do a time or two, we've looked at the text where Abraham's two sons, Bible said they offered strange fire. What does it mean by strange fire? It means they created their own fire. Common fire, man-made, human fire, something of that nature. Whatever you, It wasn't fire from God, and what happened to them? That God killed them. Uh, you and I can't substitute anything for the fire of God that comes out of heaven. And we'll get to that in great detail in another place. Also, now look back just a page or two before we move on. Look to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And look in verses 12 and 13. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offering, 
and the fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. You know why churches die up dry? They let the fire go out. They start using worldly methods. They start using human ingenuity or whatever, whatever they want to call it, ingenuity. Uh, they start substituting things for the fire of God. And uh, here the scripture is clear. The fire came down from God out of heaven. And the fire is to ever be burning upon the altar. We're supposed to keep it individually in our life. We're supposed to keep the fires of revival burning in our heart and in our soul every morning when we wake up before we get out of bed. Before we get out of bed. We need to spend a little, a little few minutes even with God to make sure our hearts are clean. Our minds are clean. We commit ourselves to the Lord. We ask for the Holy Spirit of God to fill us, control us, to guide us, in our, and that everything that we think and say and do would bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ throughout that day. Before we start our day, we ought to start it being right with God, being anointed by God to live for Him through this world that we walk in for the next few hours. So that's the purpose of the altar. Now look down in Roman number 5. We'll look at the picture of the altar. Uh, I'm sure you've already seen all this put together. But the Old Testament picture, the wood speaks of what? Sinful man. The brass speaks of the judgment of God covering sinful man. We're under judgment because of our sin. The blood poured out at the foot of the altar in Exodus 29, 12 that we just read. In the Old Testament, that, that spoke of or that pictured the sins of the people being covered. Now, again, that was a temporary covering. I can't emphasize that enough, and I think you all know that. But you go to the book of Hebrews. It says that the blood of bull and goats can never take away sin. So it was a covering of sin for a temporary period of time, but it was looking forward to the New Testament. Now, what is the New Testament picture? The woods, again, speaks of the humanity of men. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You can probably quote the verse, but we'll turn there just to be sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, who's that speaking of? Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it pictures the humanity of man, sinful man. It pictures here the humanity of Jesus being made sin for us, he who knew no sin. Then the brass, what's that speak of? It speaks of the judgment of God. And when our Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross and he was made to be sin for us, listen now, if God ever had reason, if God ever had a reason to even think about going a little bit more lenient upon sin, it was that day when his own beloved, only begotten son was made to be sin for us. He, he knew no sin, but all my sins, all your sins, all the sins of all men of all time 
were placed upon him if God ever had a reason to even think that he might go easy on sin. He did not. And that's pictured here. What happened when our Lord Jesus was nailed to that cross, was being crucified? He cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And on that day he suffered the fires of God's wrath on sins that were put upon him, my sins and your sins. And he paid the sin debt that God could be pleased and would be pleased. Not only did he suffer the fire and the wrath of God that day and the sins of all mankind for all ever, but he poured his blood out there at the foot of that cross. Turn back to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I want to point out one thing in particular. John chapter 19, verse 33. John chapter 19, verse 33. You remember now, uh, Brother Dan uh, said a while ago, said uh, that must have been a terrible, awful mess. There was a tremendous amount of blood poured out there at that uh, foot of that altar on the ground there at the golden, the, the brazen altar of sacrifice. And no doubt it was because there was animal after animal after animal after animal that was had their throat cut and the blood was poured out. There was an enormous amount, an unmeasurable amount of blood poured out. Now that was a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 19 and verse 33. But when they came to Jesus, he was on the cross, and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Now you see the, see the fulfilling of prophecy here. Look at it. He was already dead. They didn't need to do this. But verse 24 says, verse 34, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Now, it wasn't of the enormous quantity that was poured out there to put of the brazen altar in the tabernacle, but it was sufficient quality that it was enough to cover the sins of the whole world from the time of Adam and Eve. Do you see the picture between the enormous amount of blood? Number one, do you see the picture between the blood being poured out at the brazen altar as a covering for sin? And now see a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ pouring out his blood. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Won't you see this? Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look in verse uh, 12. Again, I mentioned this before. You'll, you'll really start to understand Hebrews if you understand the tabernacle because it's referring to it again and again and again. Look at verse nine, chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, that was the tabernacle, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bull and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified in the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, 
purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now turn over quickly just one page, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Hebrews 10, verse 13, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sacrificed. Do you see the picture? When he poured his blood out, it was for eternal redemption, never to have to be done again, and it was sufficient for the sins of all mankind of all time. That's repeated again and again and again. First John chapter 2 said he's a propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for all them that believe, and it put no time limit of dates and centuries or decades or whenever it might be. So uh, you see, again, Hebrews is drawing off the picture in the tabernacle. It's, uh, when I say the, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. You can see that between the tabernacle. And the results of that, uh, the picture is complete of the purpose uh, of that altar. Uh, again, go back to Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You don't need to take there, but it says, He was made to be sin for us. He paid the sacrifice. What was the result? We were made the righteousness of God. Now, that's hard for me to comprehend, knowing myself as I know myself, living in a body of flesh, and it's still got a sin nature, and I fight it every hour of every day. But I've been made righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just, uh, one more thing, let's just, and we'll close our lesson for the day. And this will end our study on the brazen altar. Next week we'll be looking at the brazen labor. But number five on your thing, who crucified Jesus? You say, well, the Jews crucified Jesus. You say, well, the Romans crucified Jesus. You say, well, you and me crucified Jesus. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all of that's true, but that's not true, really. Uh, go back to Isaiah chapter 53. This is this will be, be a blessing to you if you let God make it real to you. Now, I can't understand this, and you can't either. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. What was that talking about? That was Isaiah the prophet speaking of the time in the future that he really knew not of. But he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ when he would be nailed on a cross bleed, suffer, die, and shed his blood to redeem us. And it said it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to cause him grief and suffering and pain. And indeed, he suffered the fires of God's wrath on that day because of my sins and your sins. Who's responsible for that? God did it. Hard for me to believe that God would put his son through that for a sinner like me, sinners like you. Again, if God ever had reason to go light on sin, it was that day. It wasn't even the sins of his son. It was my sins and your sins. If for no other reason, 
if for no other reason, that's sufficient reason and more for you and I to love him with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength. God help us to live our Christian life showing gratitude, appreciation, gratefulness for what God did for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just mention quickly our part of it and we'll close. What does God ask of you and I? The only thing he asks of you and I is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He said, I beseech thee therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. Now, he didn't ask us to suffer and bleed and die and be bruised and be beaten with a cat of nine tails and a thorn put on our head and nailed to a cross and blood run out. He said, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Sometimes it's harder to be a living sacrifice than it is a dying sacrifice. But he said, in response to what I did for you, Paul didn't command us. He said, I beseech thee, I'm begging you. Keep in mind that was the Holy Spirit of God. That you consider what God did for you and I through his son Jesus Christ on Calvary. And he said, now I beseech you because of that, that you would present your body a living sacrifice. And then he tells us how we should present it. Should present it holy and should present it acceptable unto God. And it should be because of the washing of the water of the Word of God on a daily basis that we'll study next week without spot and without blemish. Cleansed one time by the blood of Christ. Cleansed daily by the Word of God. That's spoken up 39 times in the Old Testament. It's said of Christ in the New Testament that He was without spot and out blemish. That was expected. That is expected of you and I Paul made that clear in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. God help you and I today to be able to say, we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not us, but Christ liveth in us. Let's have prayer. 